We are in the home stretch of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be today. So if you've got your Bibles with you, open up to Matthew 7. If you don't have a Bible but would like to follow along, I'm going to be referencing uh, several different uh, verses throughout Scripture this morning. So there's a cart right back here by the sound, uh, the sound booth that's got Bibles. You can grab one. Just feel free to get up and get it right now if you want. So what we've kind of been realizing as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5, 6, and 7, is that Jesus began with the Beatitudes, which we came to understand is like the, the, the preamble. The Beatitudes are the ninefold path of Jesus. It is the way Jesus wants his followers to conduct themselves in life and relationship. And then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is, is really Jesus unpacking what each of these Beatitudes, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean to live mercifully? What does it mean to live with purity of heart, hungering and thirsting for righteousness? So the, the Sermon on the Mount is really trying to unpack all of that. He's, and basically, this is so important for us who are followers of Jesus because this is the most clear statement that Jesus gave in all of Scripture for how he wants us as his followers to conduct ourselves every day at work, at school, at home, in public. This this is the way. So in chapter six, he was really focused a lot on how we are supposed to relate uh, and focus ourselves by the way of trust, believing that we're not gonna worry, have anxiety. He wants us to seek after the things of God's kingdom, not the things of this world. Now in Chapter seven, he begins with this really sort of sticky wicket, if you will, of how we are supposed to perceive and respond to others who are not like us, to others who are not followers of the way, to others who don't understand who Jesus is or understand how we're living or they don't necessarily live according to the ways we're trying to live. So let's just take a look. Now, keep in mind also, before we get into the scripture, Jesus also provided a contrast back at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount when he said that your righteousness, your goodness, your right living has to surpass that of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. This is really interesting because basically what Jesus said through all of his ministry, the only group of people that he consistently condemned were the institutional, traditional religious people. Question. Who are the traditional institutional religious people today? Welcome. <laughs> it's us. It's us. 
So one of the things that I want us to understand as we think about what Jesus is getting at here is that for followers of Jesus who regularly attend church, who are trying to follow Christ, who are trying to do the right thing, we are susceptible. The thing that Jesus does not want us to do is become like the Pharisees and the religious leaders because that's not what he's talking about. So throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we have to constantly kind of look at, well, what, what were the, the Pharisees and the religious institutional people doing to really pervert what Jesus is trying to say? Because they were. And we're going to take a look at that as we get in to the scripture today. Chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. By the way, the Greek word there for judgment is a form of the same word that is used in Revelation chapter 20 when it talks about Jesus on the great white throne judging all of humanity, everyone whose names are not in the book of life. So he's speaking here specifically, like when you judge somebody, when you condemn them, when you find them not worthy of you or not worthy of what you think they should be, don't judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So why do you look at a speck sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's this plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and in turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For anyone who receives, asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your child asks you for bread, would give him a stone instead? Or if he asks you for a fish, We'll give them a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you, to those who ask him? So in everything, here's the golden rule, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. All right. So as we get into the subject of judgment, judging, we have to understand some theology 101. So bear with me. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. So that's everybody in this room. It's everybody in this world. There is nobody, there's no human being in the history of the world, except for Jesus, who was sinless. We all sin and fall short of God's glory. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of that sin 
is death. That's part of the paradigm from Genesis chapter three. All of us are going to die a physical death. That was the judgment for humanity's sin. Now, so we accept this fact that we all sin. But, but sin is both an act that is sinful and it is also a state of being. We are sinful. And even though we're forgiven, those of us who have come to Christ and said, given him our lives and said, hey, forgive me of my sins. Come in, save me. Be my Lord and Savior. The Bible assures us that he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that doesn't change the fact that we are still in this third level world, the kingdoms of the world, under the dominion of the prince of this world, we are living in a sinful state. We struggle with it our whole earthly journey. We are forgiven, but we're still in this sinful state. So what happens with the religious institutions and the religious way of doing things like the Pharisees were doing is they focus on the sinful acts while ignoring the state of being. So in religion, it becomes behavior management, right? Do this, don't do this, make sure you do this. No, 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 don't ever do that. And so I remember being a young follower of Jesus in my teenage years, and I, that's kind of where I started with because I had a lot of behaviors that I needed to manage. There were a lot of things that I was, so a lot of acts that I was committing that were sinful. So I began this process of, of behavior modification and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what God wants us to do, to live clean and pure lives. But one of the things that I learned in that process is that I wasn't dealing with the state of being that I was a sinful person. And when you just are managing, trying to manage the behavior and you're not dealing with the fact that you are a sinner and you're, I live as, in the state of being a sinful person, then all of a sudden it becomes easier to kind of go, well, if I just manage enough of the acts, if I can diminish the number of sinful acts to a certain level, then I'll be okay. But in the kingdom economy, it doesn't work that way. And that's where religious or institutions begin dictating all sorts of behaviors to show the world that you are acceptable or not acceptable, that you are good, a good Christian, good religious person. But see, God didn't care about that. Because what God really wants to get to is our hearts. And when I embrace, finally came to the point of embracing my total depravity as a human being and began to understand how God's mercy covers the multitude of my sins and all of my state of being in sinfulness then it changed the way I saw those behaviors. When I was trying to just manage the behavior, it's all about just changing a behavior. When I embraced 
God's mercy for my sinfulness, it began to change my motivation of who I wanted to be and how I wanted to live. So when we come to to James chapter 2, verse 10, James says, whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles at just one point is guilty of being disobedient of the whole thing. That's pretty dire, folks. You see, what James is plugging at there is it's not about the behavior modification. Because still, if you diminish all of your sins down to being really, really good, it hasn't changed the state of your being. Make one little mistake and you're guilty of all of it. Now that flies in the face of our meritocracy. And believe me, the institutional religion is all about meritocracy. You earn it by your behavior. And it's part of the way, in some ways, it's part of being human. You know, when our, our parents raise us up, if you do good, then you'll be a good boy and you'll be blessed and, and, and we'll reward you. If you're naughty, then we're gonna punish you. And we do it every Christmas, you know? Be a good boy, girl. Santa will give you just about anything you want. If you're a naughty boy or girl, lump of coal for you. It's kind of the way that life works and we get our heads into that paradigm and we can't get it out. So we, we're constantly struggling to go back to this idea of I'm just trying to be good enough. When the reality is there is no good enough. And that's what salvation through Christ is all about. Now, and then here's the other problem with it. There are pretty sins and there are ugly sins. The ugly sins are the sins that are pretty easy to see, right? Public, people see those, those sins. They see the fallout and the collateral damage of those sins. And those are ugly. And it's really easy for all of us to look at those and go, oh, that's bad. But then there are pretty sins. Pretty sins are the ones that people usually don't see. And in fact, they tend to be the ones that are most deadly. Uh, Jared Garland and I have been, uh, started reading this book called Seven, and Jeff Cook, by Jeff Cook. It's interesting because what, what Jeff Cook does is he basically takes a look at the Beatitudes and then he matches them up to the seven deadly sins. Now, when it comes to my life, I'll be very, very honest with you. It's also really interesting as I've studied the Enneagram and gotten into the Enneagram over the last couple of years, that every Enneagram type has a corresponding deadly sin that they struggle with more than others. For me, as a type four, it's envy. I, I confess to you, I, I struggle with envy. And I didn't realize this until later in life. It's only been in the last probably five to 10 years that I have realized how much the sin of envy is really a part of who I am. And here's what happens. I get, 
I get envious of people and all of a sudden I'll realize that I just don't like them. I don't like this person. And it's usually somebody I don't even know. I remember getting really annoyed by Chip and Joanna Gaines. <laughs> Every time Wendy or one of her girlfriends would talk about Joanna, I just went, ah. I'd walk into Walmart, you can't go anywhere without seeing Chip and Joanna. They're, they're on magazine covers. They have the product out there. And I remember just, I went through this period, it was just like, it would make me angry. Now, nobody saw that, right? It's a pretty sin. It's pretty quiet. It's, it's deep in there. I didn't, I didn't explode. In fact, what I did though, I did tweet. I did tweet and said on my tweet, because I just had to express it. I said, you know what? I'm, I'm sure Chip and Joanne are lovely people. I'm just getting sick of seeing them three million times every day. Chip Gaines replied to me. And he said, at Tom Bandwell, I totally get it. I told Joanna the other day, even I'm sick of us. <laughs> but that's, but I realized that I struggle with this and it's not a small thing. It, it is something that's inside of me and I have to be very careful because what happens is uh, with envy, I realize that I am becoming, uh, it's a piece of discontent in me. There's not, you know, I'm glad that Chip and Joanna are so famous and popular or whatever. But the reality is I'm kind of envious of that too. So I've got to own that. So we have these, these pretty sins like pride and sloth. You know what? And not, nobody really sees the sloth, do they? Because we're usually at home being slothful. A lot of times people don't see the greed that drives us or the lust in our hearts for different appetites, the anger, the gluttony, because gluttony isn't just about food. Gluttony is about overindulging in things in order to try and fill an emptiness that is inside. So when I judge another human being what I'm really doing is I'm placing myself in this untenable position of authority that I don't have. I am saying, I'm basically putting on my junior Holy Spirit badge and saying somehow God has bestowed on me the ability to judge and condemn and decide who's good and who's bad and who's right and who's wrong. And this leads to what Jesus then said in chapter seven, where he goes, why do you look at the speck in the, your, your, your brother's eye when you got this big old plank in your own? Now, as I read some of the commentary on this, um, it is, some of the commentators believe that it's really a matter of perspective, and I love this. So if I take a, a pen, in fact, who's got, Mike, can I borrow your pen? Real quick. Okay. All right. I use Mike's pen. There is a dot 
there's a speck on my finger, right? Can you see it? How big is it? Pretty small, right? Now, now Tim, hold on a second. How small is it now? It's pretty big. <laughs> right? See, the speck is the speck. But the speck in my eye, when, I, when it's in my eye, it's huge. But when you're looking at it from 20 feet away, you can, can't even see it. The, the specks, we all have the specks. The problem is, is that I'm ignoring the speck in my eye and I am judging the speck in the other person. And Jesus is saying, we all have sin and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one. You screw up one little thing. You got this little speck of, of envy and you're guilty of it all. So that person who's in prison, that person who's, who's uh, been an adulterer, that person who's been divorced, that person who's living life, you know, the way, that person who has a different worldview than me and doesn't agree with my politics. Oh, there it went, didn't it? Yeah. When we look at them and, and begin to get angry at them and condemn them, I can't stand them. All the time, I'm, I've got this spot. And what, what Jesus is saying, Tom, that pretty sin of envy that nobody sees, that's just as deadly, if not more deadly, than the thing that you're condemning in that person. That's hard. And then we go back to the Pharisees and the religious types, because we can't forget them. That's the contrast that Jesus wants us to, to think about all the time. So what happens? Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 23. And let me go to where Jesus talks directly to the Pharisees. Chapter 23 of Matthew, verse 23. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, a tithe, in other words. You're tithing according to what the law of Moses told you to do. You give a tenth of your, spi your spices, but then the more important matters of the law, justice, by the way, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's justice. Mercy, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The faithfulness, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now the problem isn't that, I'm glad that you're tithing, but you're not looking at the things that are really important. You blind guides. Verse 25, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup. Behavior modification. You've cleaned it up. Looking good. I'm religious. I go to church every Sunday. I got my Bible. So you clean the outside of the cup, but on the inside, you're full of the bones of the dead and everything that is unclean because you haven't dealt with the state of being 
that is sinful, with the motivations that are driving you to pretend that you're all religious while you hide and have these secret little pretty sins at home that nobody knows about. That's what Jesus wants us to avoid. And there's always a higher level of religiousness. There's always, a, there's always another hoop that someone can put in front of you. I went to college with a young man named Brian. And from four years of college, Brian and my friend Craig and I would meet every Saturday morning after Pee Wee's Playhouse. Everyone remember Pee Wee's Playhouse? So we would get, we'd watch Pee Wee's Playhouse in our, and Craig always had his moose slippers. He'd have his moose slippers and his sleep pants. And we'd go down to the, the TV in the dorm and we would watch Pee Playhouse. And then we would just talk about life, the three of us. And we got, over four years, we got to know each other really, really well. We, we confessed our sins to each other. We had, we'd walked together through some of our own stuff and trying to figure out life. And then a year or so after graduating, I got a call um, from Brian who wanted to come see me and did, I think he did. And so he, bottom line is what he wanted to tell me was that I was going to hell. And he had become part of a very religious, religious institution who believed that there were these really important hoops of doctrine and really important hoops of behavior that dictated who was going to hell and who was going to heaven. And because I did not, I didn't agree with him. And because I didn't think that those hoops were really that important, he basically said, well then, you're going to hell and I never, will never speak to you again. And he never did. There's always more hoops. There's always more fundamentalist rigor. That's why, that's why people ended up, you know, in the Middle Ages, flagellating themselves. Did you know this? People would, to show how grieved they were over their sinfulness, they would take a, a whip, a thong, and beat themselves. Boom, boom, I'm such a bad person, boom. And just to show you that I know how bad I am, I'm gonna beat myself up. That's the end of where religious institutionalism goes. That kind of crazy. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. So the, the way of Jesus is first to embrace the, my own, blessed are the poor in spirit. And when Jesus says, don't, try, don't judge others, he's saying, look, I have, no, I have no reason to judge. You know why? I'm no better than anybody else. I'm not. The, the things that that person is doing are no worse than the things that I'm struggling with every day. It may look ugly, but the stuff that I'm dealing with is ugly too. And there's really no difference. I have to, and that they say, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit for those of the kingdom of heaven. That's the way of trust. So choosing not to judge someone is in essence me taking off my junior Holy Spirit badge, setting it aside, and saying, God, I am going to entrust this person 
to you. Because 2 Peter chapter three says, God does not wish that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So I also have to understand that when I judge someone, when I call somebody an idiot, when I get angry and rail on this person and judge them and condemn them for who they are or what they're doing or what they believe politically, I am judging a person whom Jesus wants to woo. They're at a different stage in their own story and their own journey. But God does not wish that any would perish. So Jesus' Holy Spirit is working on them to draw them to himself. And judgment is not the means of repentance. In Romans it says, in fact, let me read this. You therefore have no excuse. This is Romans 2 verses one through four. You have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Same measure is gonna be measured of you. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. They might look like prettier sins, but their sins just the same. Now we know that God's judgments against those who do such things is based on truth. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness forbearance and patience, not realizing that it's God's kindness. Say it again, it's God's kindness that is intended to lead you to repentance. Condemnation, judgment doesn't lead to repentance. Judgment is that, is all that's left in the end when someone is unwilling to accept God's kindness. And in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about the great white throne. When in the end, that's when the judgment happens, the books will be open and the judgment will take place. And I always say, the great white throne, the judgment seat of Christ, that's a big chair and this ain't that big. Anytime I try and climb onto the judgment seat of Christ and pretend that I'm him, I don't have that authority. My job is to be kind and patient and loving, good, generous, because it's kindness that's intended to lead us to repentance. That's the way of Christ. That's the way of Jesus. Yeah. Let's pray. Jesus, give us, Lord, the grace to be humble, to to take off our junior Holy Spirit badges. Allow us, Lord, to see in others, to see in our enemies, 
to see those on the other side of the political spectrum whom we've been told to hate and reject. Help us to see people for whom you died, people that you are trying to woo, people who you are trying to patiently, kindly draw them to yourself. Lord, we confess to you that we get in the way with our anger. We get in the way with our judgment. We get in the way with our words and our attitudes. So, forgive us. Forgive us. And help us, Lord, to be the people that you call us to be. Not judging, but seeking you out, asking and seeking and knocking. Help us, Lord, to not be those religious people that are known for condemnation and judgment and self-righteousness and hypocrisy. Help us to follow the way of Jesus that others who don't know you may see in us the love and the kindness, the peace and the patience and the joy that it might draw them. May they see in us those things in you that they want to have in their own life. Make us those people. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.